good morning. Uh, sorry. It's the playoffs, and my mind is a bit shut. So good evening, everybody. It's very good to be here with you. We are going to be, for a very brief time, I promise, in Luke chapter 15. So turn with me, if you would, to Luke 15. This is the parable of the lost sheep. For our consideration this evening, we're going to specifically be in verses 1 to 7. 1 to 7. Beginning in verse 1, the Lord Jesus will say in just a minute, but our text says, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me! For I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Dear Father, we come to you very quickly before we get started and just ask that you would be our teacher, that we would feel the weight of the word. And Lord Jesus, these are your specific words these are your words that you spoke in a parable, God. I pray that they would resonate deep within us and that we would look to you tonight. Thank you for your unbelievable grace that you give each one of us to comprehend your truth through the Spirit. Lord, through my weakness, speak now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I love obvious statements. The sky is blue. Water is wet. And one of my personal favorites, and I find myself saying it often, when I walk outside and it's a beautiful sunny day, whoa, that sun is bright. I don't know what I'm expecting, but it's still bright and it's still hot, thankfully. My dad and I joke around about an old football announcer by the name of Dan Fouts, who was notorious for making such statements during a game. He would say something like, well, you know, I really think that whoever has the most points at the end of the game really has a good shot of coming out on top. He was so notorious for making statements like that that even Saturday Night Live would parody him from time to time. What's funny, though, and what's not necessarily funny when we find it in the scriptures is that the Bible will often make claims that are incredibly complex, but they're, but they're very simply stated. One of my favorites is in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, when it just simply says, for my thoughts, the Lord's speaking here, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We forget, guys, but God is absolutely, completely different than you are than you are and as I am, and, and that I am. It's, he is the only reference in Scripture that is re repeated three times, remember, is holy, holy, holy. We often want to bring God down to our level and, and put ourselves up to make us look better. The Lord is saying that for us to think that He 
and all of us are on the same level and approach things in a similar fashion, that would be a grave mistake. There are obviously a number of reasons this is the case, but I would just like to offer up two very quickly as a way of introduction before we get started. First, and very simply, God is God. He is the creator. He is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He exists because he exists and is dependent on no one else. He sees the end from the beginning and is working out all of human history for the glory of his name according to the predestined counsel of his will. And I can barely keep my own schedule sane. He is working out everything according to his plan. I know especially in our culture today, things can look like they're like just havoc is being wreaked and what is the plan? But guys, never forget that today, October 14th, 2020, God is on his throne. Nothing is catching him off guard and everything is going exactly according to his plan, the plan of redemption. There's nothing he can't pull off Needless to say, this makes him infinitely different from you and me. Second, and what will be specifically applicable for us in our text tonight, is that God is free from sin and we are not. We come into this world with a nature, an instinct, if you will, that is bent toward rebellion, selfishness, and pride. We have an appetite for sin and seek it constantly. We are self-justifiers, seeing our deeds as often better than others and our sins as certainly less grievous than theirs. We love to play the comparison game with our neighbor and declare ourselves the perpetual victor. Well, this was a favorite pastime of the Pharisees and scribes of Jesus' day as well. Human nature has not changed. They constantly wanted to make themselves look good, while at the same time making others look bad, particularly when it came to performing religious rituals and that, and that which they thought would, quote, please God. Remember the Lord's scathing remarks about the Pharisees in Matthew 23, that series of woes? He said they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger but they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. Their heart was easy to expose. And never forget that that's why they hated Jesus so much. He was the light. And he would shine that light of true righteousness on the Pharisees, and they were seen to be what they truly were, dead men's bones. It's like a coffee cup that looks pristine on the outside, and you give it to somebody to have a cup of coffee, and it's got cobwebs and it's got awful nasty stuff that I won't describe on the inside. You wouldn't want to drink out of that. That was their heart. In our text tonight, their heart is going to be exposed for once again being quite different from the heart of Jesus, the heart of God himself. And with that said, let's get into our text as we walk through it very briefly. Our text tonight can be broken up into three sections. The setup in verses 1 to 2, the story in verses 3 to 6, and the commentary in verse 7. First, we see the setup in verses 1 and 2, where it says that the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to listen to him, but the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man 
receives sinners and eats with them. What's happening here in verse 1? All the tax collectors and sinners are coming to hear what Jesus has to say. Could we stop for just a second and see how beautiful that is? Jesus was the personification of holiness, of he who was without sin. And instead of shunning people away, it drew people toward him. Guys, that's exactly the way that you and I should be. Just because we walk with Jesus doesn't mean that we can't go anywhere and be his holiness and be his light to anyone. That, first of all, just sticks out tremendously to me. They're attracted to him. They don't flee from him. They want to hear what he has to say. Perhaps the Spirit is drawing them to Jesus to hear the message of redemption. You would think that everyone who was seeing this would be excited. Oh my goodness, do you know what, they, what they've done? They're coming to hear Jesus speak. Perhaps God will be working in their heart. But unfortunately, that's not what we see. Not with the Pharisees. In fact, in verse 2, you see quite the opposite. What are they doing? They're grumbling. They're having their... I just imagine seeing this scene. They have their arms crossed. They're looking at, at Jesus. Perhaps, you know, if there's a lot of people flocking in, they're kind of bumping elbows. You know, they're trying to get away from these people. They can't stand the fact that they're in the same presence and in the same company as these, quote, sinners. Frankly, they were disgusted that Jesus was even allowing these people in the same room with them. Jesus, we're the Pharisees. We're the, we're the scribes. Can we talk in some more respectful setting, please? What's interesting is that it goes from disdain and ridicule toward the people to Jesus himself. Because it's not just, look at those people. Look at Jesus. He's receiving those people. Let's never be afraid to receive ridicule for who we're around. The Lord knows our hearts, and if we're witnessing to someone or if we're doing his work, let God be true and every man a liar. God should be our judge regardless of what anyone else would say concerning it. These scribes and Pharisees couldn't have cared less about these individuals. That's the point I want to make. In their estimation, they weren't worth the time of day that Jesus was taking to communicate with them. These people are evil. These people are wicked. They might have grumbled under their breath. What are you doing wasting your time? As far as they were concerned, these, quote, sinners were broken beyond hope of ever being restored. They were broken with no hope of repair. They were lost with no hope of ever being found. They had written them off. Before we're too hard on these Pharisees and scribes, we've got to ask ourselves, have we ever done this? Have we ever seen someone in such bad shape and think, well, surely they're beyond God's reach. Surely there's no hope for that person. Even if I were to take the time to share the gospel, look how, me look how messed up their life is. You see, we usually play the comparison game so easily with others, and usually if we're not careful, we can build ourselves up and do the very same thing that these Pharisees are doing with these quote-unquote sinners. We must remind ourselves that the gospel is for everybody. It is for all types of sinners, not just the ones that can present a clean image of themselves when we first meet them. We must have the attitude and heart of our God, the, the heart and attitude of Jesus himself. And what does that heart look like? That's what we're going to look at for just a few minutes tonight. Jesus is going to tell a series of three parables. Don't worry, we're only looking at one that is going to describe the heart of God. 
The first two verses of Luke 15 set up the context for the entire chapter. In response to this grumbling, Jesus is going to tell a story of how God loves to seek the lost. He loves to find those who are broken, and he loves to receive them home. So with that being said, let's jump into the story. And I think just first of all, I love how the Lord could have responded in, in a number of ways. He could have fired right back at them and started a debate. But he just decided to tell a story. And he decides to tell three stories showing and personifying the heart of God the way that he views sinners. And just remember this, that not only, I told this to the kids before, but not only was Jesus the greatest preacher of all time, not only was he the greatest debater and logician, where I love the parts in scripture when it would say, and they had nothing else to say. These people love to talk. So when they would have shut up, it would have meant something. And it would have, they would have burned with anger when he would have said something and quoted the law and they wouldn't have had a good response. But not only was he the perfect debater, but he was also the best storyteller who ever lived. And so he simply opens up telling the story where he said, as we read, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. First, I love the way that the Lord starts out the story, appealing to the common sense nature of the example that he is about to give. He's in essence saying, Isn't it obvious that if you lose something that's precious to you, you're going to go looking for it? If you lose something and you leave behind something of value, or in this instance, something of value wanders away, you're not just going to say, uh, oh well, forget about it. You're going to go and seek it. That's the entire point of this parable. The shepherd has lost one of his sheep. Now our re first reaction could be, well, what's the big deal? He says he has a hundred sheep because there's 99 others in the pasture. Well, what if you come up to me and you say, one of your children is missing? And I say, <laughs> First of all, calm down. Don't worry, I have two more. It's no big deal. You would think something was wrong with me, and you would be correct in that assessment. Why? Because I can honestly say that each one of my children are individually precious to me. And it's the same way when the Father looks at all of us. He sees you individually as precious to him. And so if you wander off, if you leave, it matters to him. And I know, I remember that that's, that's often one thing that I have struggled with. Yes, I can see how big God is. I can see how magnificent the universe is. But to think that he cares for me so intimately. And Jesus is saying in this parable that, you know what? That's true. He cares about each and every one of his children and each one of his sheep. Now, that might be our heart. Oftentimes, if we see someone going or some, or some trouble in our life, oh, you know, let the person go. They're nothing but trouble anyway. But that's not the heart of our God. That's not the heart of the shepherd. You see, the reason goes after the sheep, like I just mentioned, is because the sheep is precious to him. He's very valuable. Or to put it in another way, in a sense closer to home, like I was just talking about, that instance of my kids. I would not let them, I would not let them just be, oh, you know, 
Lily's wandered off. She'll wander back someday. But the second thing, real quick, as we're moving on, the second thing that we need to observe from this story is the relationship of the sheep with the shepherd. The shepherd loved dearly the sheep no matter how many others he had, like I just said. You know, brothers and sisters, this is an important point for us all to sink deep down. Like I was just mentioning, every one of us is precious and valuable to God. And the incredible part is that if someone goes off, if someone wanders, whose job is it to go after them? In this story, it's the shepherd, but in the context of the church, it should be each one of us. It says in 2 Corinthians, and especially if it's in the context of someone who does not know the Lord, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. He's given us the gospel and told us to go out into the world and plead with people, begging people is the, is, is the image that Paul gives, that they would be reconciled to God. We are his ambassadors, and we are making that appeal. A third observation that I want us to see very briefly that we could make from this parable is that the shepherd is the one who is going after the sheep, not the other way around. Sheep are prone to wander and not known for their intelligence. If it were left solely up to the capability of the sheep, a reunion with the shepherd would never happen. This perfectly mirrors our relationship with God pre-conversion. Left to ourselves, no one would seek God. Paul says this clearly in Romans 3, 10 and 11, where he's quoting Psalm 14. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. Jesus himself said for the purpose that he came in Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was the whole reason that Jesus came. He is the seeker when it comes to salvation, brothers and sisters. We aren't. And as A.W. Pink succinctly put it, it is the shepherd who seeks the sheep and not the sheep that seeks the shepherd. A final observation that we can see from our parable that the Lord gives is that what happens when he finds the sheep? Does, is he wandering and, and looking around and he sees the sheep and he's like, he goes up and he just yanks the sheep and he treats it angrily and hostily. No, he rejoices. And he does so very tenderly. This idea that we're looking at right here is the idea of a reunion. The shepherd is reunited with his most precious sheep and exhilaration now overtakes him. He is thrilled that he has found his sheep. And I love verse 5 because look at the tender nature that, like I, like I was mentioning, he deals with this sheep. He lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Isn't that amazing how gentle God can be? How gentle he deals with us. Even we who confess Christ wander away so easily, and yet our God does not treat us the way that we deserve to be treated. I love in Psalm 103 where it says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. 
What's truly marvelous about the rejoicing of the shepherd in verse 6, though, is that he doesn't keep it to himself. Look, he tells his friends, he tells his neighbors, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. He throws a party. He is ecstatic. He tells everybody he knows he is pumped. By this time, I wonder if the Pharisees and scribes would have been starting to squirm because it's very apparent that he's calling out their heart and calling out their attitude. Maybe not, but perhaps. Regardless, the Lord Jesus gives commentary on the story that he just told, and we're going to find that finally here in our last verse. In verse 7, he says, I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. We need to see that right out of the gate, Jesus says that the joyous reaction of the shepherd finding his sheep is the exact dynamic of an event that actually takes place in heaven. He says in the same way, it mirrors it. It reflects something that actually takes place. What does it mirror? Well, very simply, it mirrors the heart of heaven. Heaven shouts for joy when the lost have been found, when the broken have been fixed, and when the sinner has been saved. You see, in contrast to these Pharisees who would have who would have cared if these people never came to a knowledge of the truth or never been reconciled to God. Heaven shouts for joy. And who is in heaven? God and his angels. They all celebrate. And you know what? Because we know that even repentance itself is a gracious gift that God gives the sinner after regeneration occurs, we know that ultimately the focus of the celebration isn't on the sinner choosing God, but rather it's a celebration of God working in the sinner's heart. God is the focus. All of heaven is screaming for joy for the wonderful works of God that he's doing among men who don't deserve his grace. Heaven is full of praise for God. But this, my friends, is the, this, is, this, my friends, is the very heart of heaven. It's the very heart of God. Jesus will continue throughout the rest of this chapter when he talks about the parable of the lost coin and then the, the famous parable of the prodigal son that God loves to, re, to receive lost things. He loves to go after people and find them. As our passage closes, you almost have to wonder if he looked, if the Lord Jesus looked in their direction as he finished that last part where he was talking about in heaven, there's no rejoicing over the 99 who say they need no repentance. Why is that? Because in essence, he's saying to them, heaven's not rejoicing in you because you think you're self-righteous. You think you don't need repentance. You think you are not needing to be fixed. In their minds, they didn't need to be reconciled to God. They were, they were keeping the law. They were fulfilling it according to their own terms. And as we finish up tonight, what about you? Where is your heart? Do you get annoyed by people whom you run across who are unkempt or really show their sins externally? Do you find yourself embarrassed by those who are embarrassing or ashamed that others who don't look like you might walk into our doors? Or do you have the heart of God that loves to find lost things, that longs to see broken people fixed and sinners come to repentance? Maybe though this evening you're relating more to the sheep than to the shepherd himself. Are you wandering? Have you walked away from the great shepherd of the sheep to follow the world? Or perhaps you've never 
even come to him in the first place. If that's true, I would beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Jesus died on the cross, was in the tomb three days, and rose to defeat sin for you. Now if you'll repent of your sins and trust Christ as Lord, the Bible says he will save you, your sins will be atoned for, and you will be wrapped in his righteous robes. Oh, friend, return. If you've wandered off, don't stay away from the Savior for any amount of time. Return to the Lord, repent, and he will throw you over his shoulder, and all of heaven will rejoice that he's found you. Let's pray. Dear Father, we're so grateful for your grace. We're so thankful for just very briefly looking at this parable. Thank you for the fact of you are the great shepherd. And Lord, when we wander away, you come after us. And Lord, give us this heart that you described in this parable. When we see people who don't know you, Lord, let us go after them. For each sheep is precious, Lord. Each person has been made in your image. Dear Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we just praise you. May we reflect your heart above all. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.